following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. I got to have a chance to have um, some friends over the other night, and we got to talking, and um, it was interesting. We, in the way that you do, we got to Polycarp, right? Which I'm sure all of you sit down at a dinner party and go, of course, Polycarp. How else do you start a dinner party but not with Polycarp? Polycarp was a Christian martyr in the early church. He's said to have been a disciple of John the Evangelist. So John who writes the book of John, he writes Revelation. The one who always labels himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which I don't know how that passed, like, review of the scriptures, that everyone was like, was John that well-loved? That they were like, yeah, he can write it, of course he is. But So Polycarp is one of these guys who had trained under John, and at some point, as a lot of the early church did, he got in trouble because of what he was teaching. And so he was brought before the Roman governor. Um, the Romans were upset with him because it was destabilizing things, so they decided to burn him at the stake, as you do. And they took Polycarp to the stake, as the story goes, and Polycarp looked at them when they went to bind him to the stake, and he said, you don't have to tie me down. I know where I'm going. And that's just kind of mind-blowing. And my buddy looks at me and goes, man, early Christianity was so metal. So metal being the idea of, you know, like hard rock metal, like oh, hardcore, like ready to go. And you think about it, it was. I mean, here's the story of Polycarp, and there are plenty of other stories of early Christian martyrs that they just looked at people who were ready to kill them and said, yep. Now, what I want to do is take a step back and say, as, as we talk today, what I'm not calling you to is to go and be a martyr. And in fact, I don't want us to build a persecution complex, which can be a struggle we have sometimes as Christians, is that sometimes if we seek persecution, we can find it in places. And let me tell you, the church that is under persecution does not have to seek it. It is there. But what I want us to think about is, why was the early church metal? Why was it so sold out? Why was it so hardcore? Why was the reaction to it in Rome so intense? Well, I think the reaction to it in Rome was so intense because Rome at that time would roll in, they would conquer you, and then the way they would take care of anyone rebelling is they would execute you very publicly and leave your remains out so that you could be seen. This is what happens when you step up against Rome. There are stories of cities, of nations that rose up to try and unseat Rome and it said the roads into their capitals would be lined with crosses of people who had been executed for standing up against Rome. So they used fear to fight against any kind of uprising. And then they had something else. Uh, the, the Latin for it is panem and circus. Bread and circuses. 
they would look out when the populace would start getting a little feisty, and they'd say, let's have some Colosseum games. Let's give the people free bread. And they'll forget about their problems. Let's make them focus on prosperity, on getting more. And then we can control them. And then also they controlled the story. All the historians were theirs. All of the thinkers were theirs. And the Christian church comes along. And now Rome does what it does best when they see someone stepping out against them. They try to execute them viciously. And men and women willingly are going to their deaths. Saying, I know something that's greater. Then when they try and buy these people off and say, just join in to the goodness of Rome. Join into our prosperity. What do these weirdos do? They start selling their stuff and giving it away. And then in the midst of what could be arguably one of the greatest cultures of all time, there is a group of people made up of everyday folks who start telling a different story. The early church was what it was because they followed Jesus. Because they followed him with their life, with their service, and with their story. So as we dive into those three ideas today, I want us to remember what Jesus says there in Matthew, the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. As we follow Jesus, those are the two greatest commandments that should just be ingrained in our heads. So let's talk about this idea of following God with our life. So Acts 2.42, this, we're, we're going to kind of walk through the scripture we had today. And, and verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And we'll see later on where it says, they went to the temple together daily. So just, let's take a moment. I ask you for Sunday, all right? Daily they were going to the temple. So just remember when you think, should I go to church today? Just remember, Ted's just asking for Sunday. So write that down somewhere. But they lived their life together following the ways of Jesus. They lived their life in such a way that they knew that there was something greater than themselves. They knew that there was more because the foundation of the gospel, that if Jesus had redeemed them and taken their sins on himself, like we sang today, washed away by the blood, that it has washed sins away, these people were living in a way that said, that is my Identity, that is my reality. There's a temptation for us 
to look at living the Christian life and to make it about getting gold stars. About saying, I'll make it into heaven if I get enough gold stars, if I live the right way, if I don't do the things I'm not supposed to do. And so we, as a Christian culture here in this country, have taken Christianity and made it a transactional system. That we show up to the pearly gates and we go, Lord, here are my gold stars. Was I holy enough? But these people in the early church were living this life because they looked and said, Jesus is enough. He has done what needed to be done for my salvation. And so I follow God. I live for him. My ways change because of him, not because I owe him, but because he already saved me. And if he's already saved me, then I want to follow the ways he tells me to live. I want to follow him in my lifestyle. I want to follow him with my finances. I want to follow him in my relationships. I want to follow him as I interact with the world. Then we look at service. We follow Jesus with service. He says that he did not come to be served, but to serve. And you look, Will, could you pull up Acts 2 for me again there from the reading? So let's look at verse 45 here. So in verse 45 says, um, back one, Will. Thank you. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Can I tell you that is one of the hardest pieces of scripture for me to read? Because you know who has need? Me. Right? And I think this is a hard thing for us to read sometimes and say, what is the Lord calling me to do? Now, we want to break this down and open it up to say that kind of the the old school way of saying this is time, talent, and treasure. That here in the early church, what they did was they looked at the treasures, the things they had, and they said, you know what, I don't need this. And I can sell it and I can help someone else out. Now, here's the tension, because some people will come in and they'll say, oh, well, then we know that having wealth is bad. Well, we say God, when money becomes our God, that's bad, but we know that the early church actually existed. We know that Jesus' ministry existed because there were some wealthy people who funded it. If you go back to Jesus' ministry, you find out that he was funded by the wife of one of King Herod's treasurers. If you look in the the letters, you'll find, um, and even in the book of Acts, the story of a woman named Lydia, who was a fashionista of her day. She was a dyer of purple cloth. But what she did was she used what she had to help the church. 
money is not in and of itself evil. When we read they were selling their possessions, not everyone was selling them to have nothing, but what they were doing was they were looking around and they were saying, do I need that? And in the complete, the sermon first preaches to the pastor, I looked up from my desk as I was writing, just at my bookshelf, and I'm embarrassed to say how many of those books I've actually read, right? Or you open a closet and go, why do I have all this junk? But I feel like I always got to have the next thing. See, the early church looked and they said, if I can get rid of some things for the benefit of others, I'm going to do that. How do we do that then also with our time? How do we look around and say, who needs my help and how can I help them? How can I invest what God has given me back into the world? How do I take what I'm good at and give it to others? How do I train people? How do I disciple people? We serve others because of what Jesus did for us. We serve and we give back because of what he has done for us. We look at our lives and we say, Lord, what do I need versus what do I want? And I'm not saying that sometimes you go, I would get the big TV. Like the Lord created technology. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. book of Ecclesiastes basically says, have a glass of wine, have a party, we're all going to die anyways. Ecclesiastes, a real pick-me-up. It doesn't mean we can't have joy. It doesn't mean we can't spend our money for those things, but it means when we do, we're asking the question. It means we're looking around us and saying, Lord, how do I serve with the possessions I've been given? And the early church looked around and they said, we can sell these things and give to people who are in need. There's a key differentiation I want us to think about when we think about service. Oftentimes, we once again, we get stuck in that gold star mentality. If I can just get enough Jesus bucks and save them up, then I can trade them in and God will love me. Well, let me answer that question for you. God loves you. Why do we have so many crosses wherever we look in Christianity? Because God took the symbol of death that the Romans used to strike fear and said, let me give you hope. That part is done. So then why do we serve if it's not for us? You see, there's a lot of freedom when we serve out of our identity in Jesus because our service is for our neighbors. It's not for us. I don't need to do it to earn anything. I don't need to do it to gain anything. Instead, I do it because my neighbor needs it. 
I do it because they have need. Not because I have need. And so it transforms how we serve people. As we follow Jesus, we live a life that looks different because we trust that his way is better. And we serve others because we look and we say, he has given to me and now my neighbor has a need. And so we step in and we serve as we follow him. Now if we look at Acts 2.47, and this is on me, I should have put this in the slideshow so as Will finds it, again, blame me, not Will. 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added more and more people day by day because they lived out the story of Jesus wherever they went. They followed him with whatever they had. They lived a life that said, we trust God over men. They served others for their sake, not their own. And then they told this story of God who became man for us. And the Lord added to their number daily. Following Jesus is made up of our life, our service, and our story. That as we've talked about trusting his promises, that Jesus is for us, that that weight we have of sin is taken away, that our identity is in him, that we trust his promise when he says that, that we seek him out, that we dive into his word, that we're engaged together in a community, that we grow together understanding who he is from our head to our heart, from our heart to our hands. Then we take our hands and we go out. We live a life that reflects what he calls us to. We serve those who are in need of service and we tell the story of who Jesus is. And this is the hardest one. Trusting the promises of Jesus, he will lock us down. He will take us home. Seeking after him, we can open our Bibles, we can dive into prayer, we can do those things. And now the Lord says, great, when you step foot on the floor in the morning, I want you to follow me in everything you do. And it is a lifetime of learning what that means. It is a lifetime of looking and saying, Lord, where are you calling me. We did prayer last week because the connection between seeking and following is prayer. Then we slow down, we go, Lord, where, where are you leading and where do I need to go? There's a term thrown around in like church circles. It's called missional, which is just mission with an A-L on the end. But the idea of missional is that I'm going to live my life following after Jesus. But that's kind of a hard thing to get in our heads. And I was having lunch with a friend I hadn't seen in a while this week. He and I were chatting, and he uh, 
works for a group, that, a small business he owns. Um, he does leadership development stuff, is very connected with churches, with some law enforcement groups, with some different folks. But we were talking about this idea of missional and how oftentimes when we look and we say we hear the word missions or missional, we think, oh, people who are going over there, right? People who are going to Europe, to Africa, to Asia. And so I, I can't do it because I don't do those things. And we were talking about what that means, and it was interesting as he and I were talking, he's like, yeah, it's, it's funny because my parents, who go to a small Baptist church in the middle of nowhere, Texas, one of their things is they would, during COVID, to just get out of the house, they would go to the local drive through grab something to eat, and then go sit in his dad's car at the local park and just eat dinner. So one night, they were out sitting out there eating dinner, when someone knocked on the window and they, you know, roll it down. He goes, it's small town, Texas. My dad was probably reaching for his gun, you know, rolls down the window. And here's one of the kids from the skate park that's at this park they were at. The kid says, hey, do you have any food? Like, I mean, yeah, we're like, we're eating dinner. Like, do you need something? He's like, well, yeah, we're just out here skating. We're kind of hungry. Like, we were just wondering if you had any food. And to me, immediately, like, there are two branches this goes on. Like, it's either people who are very, very hungry or just skaters who are fearless of everything. And they're like, I'm hungry. That person's eating. But either way, here these kids come. And they go, all right, stay here. Just wait a second. They drive it back into town, pick up a couple pizzas, and come back and sit on the tailgate of his dad's truck. Him, his dad and his mom sit and they just eat pizza with these kids at the skate park. Well, they start coming to find out the story of these kids that they don't really have parents who are heavily engaged. They come out here to skate, even though it's a worn-down park. And his parents go, well, can we show up with pizza next Monday? And they're like, that'd be great. And since that night, they have shown up with more and more pizzas because more and more kids keep showing up. And once a week... They show up at this skate park with pizzas. No one told them to. They had a kid who knocked on their window. And they just keep buying more pizza. He said it blew his mind because, you know, it was COVID. So they start off just fist bumping kids and stuff. And he said my mom was a little startled one night when one of the kids who had been long time runs up and gives her a hug because they've started calling them mom and dad. And now these two older grandparents who just wanted to get out of the house and eat some dinner are the champions of new skate park improvements in their little town. They went to the city council. They went to whoever it was and they said, hey, the skate park's like pretty busted up. Is there anything we can do about it? And they were like, hey, yeah, there's stuff we wanted to do. We just don't know who to ask. And they're like, well, we know about skate parks. Which I would love to have seen the face of that city official, you know, as grandma and grandpa walk in. He said it was to the point that when they went on vacation down to Corpus Christi, they stopped at the local skate park to meet those kids. I'm excited to have lunch with this friend again and find out what's going on. And listen, 
all that happened was they were sitting in their car eating dinner and the Holy Spirit knocked on the window. And they said, well, what do you need? And then they just kept showing up. They didn't go and ask anyone. You know, maybe they called up some friends to say, hey, do you know anything about this? They just started living the life Jesus called them to, serving where they were, and telling that story. It's that simple. It's looking around and saying, where is the Holy Spirit at work? Because here's the thing, a lot of times we look and we go, well, I'm supposed to follow Jesus, and then we sit down and we pray and go, Lord, I'm going to follow you, just show me where. And then something comes into our life and we go, listen, I'm waiting for the Lord. Can you just hold on a second? All right, Lord, keep coming. And the thing comes again, Lord, sorry, this distraction, you know, this person, this knock on my window. After six years at Narrative Church, here's the thing I love. I love this church. I love who we are. I think there, <laughs> we have a lot of places we can grow, but I think the Lord has blessed us. I've had to mourn some of the momentum we had in January and February 2020. Spent some late nights wishing we could be back there. But in the past three months, the Lord's worked on me to start letting go of that and say, well, that's where we were, that's not where we are. So here's what I want to say as your pastor, something I wish I had said more earlier on. The Lord is calling you where you are. And I don't mean that as like, you know, you're sitting there going, oh, the person next to me. No, you. He is specifically calling you. I don't know what that means. In some places, maybe I do. Maybe you've shared it with me. But the Lord has placed you where he needs you to do his work. So as you follow him on a daily basis, you're going to see where he's calling you. Maybe that's the school you're in, the classes that you sit in through the day. Maybe it's the workplace you're at. That place that you are driving to or, you know, zooming into every day. Maybe it's the neighborhood you're in, where it's the neighbors you're around and the Lord has placed you there for those neighbors. Maybe it's a sports program that you're connected to through your kids. Maybe it's sitting in a park eating dinner and someone knocks on your window. For each of us, there's a different story, but the Lord is calling you to follow him. There's this great story, the book of Ruth, and in it, Ruth, her husband passes away, and her brother-in-law passes away, and her father-in-law passes away. And so Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, is going to return to the land of her ancestors, back to Israel. And she releases her daughters-in-law because she goes, listen, you need to remarry basically as a way, you know, it's that social security at that time. You need to be in a family where you can be provided for. I'm going to return home. And Naomi, Naomi's sister, or what her other daughter-in-law goes, with her blessing. But Ruth looks at her and says, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. And that is the call for us 
as followers of Jesus, that we would wake up and pray and go, Lord, where you go, let me go, and where you stay, let me stay. Because here's what I believe, things I wish I had said more as your pastor earlier on. The Lord has put you in a place and he is calling you. How are you gonna answer? Now once again, this, this isn't about your salvation, that's done. This is sanctification. This is the Lord working on your heart, calling you to more, to love him and to love your neighbors. And listen, as your pastor, here's what I can tell you. If any of you say, well, the Lord's not calling me to follow him, I can tell you, you need to repent. Because that's nowhere in the Bible. Now, maybe it takes us some time. Maybe it takes us time to figure it out. That's okay. But the Lord is calling you to follow him. Being a Christian is not a spectator sport. We get to be a part of it. Because there are people out there who are sitting at skate parks hungry who need parents. There are friends that we love dearly who don't know the love of Jesus. There are neighbors who we interact with on a weekly basis who have no idea what Jesus has done for them. And boy, my prayer for the next six years is that we become a church where at the very least people know our people. Even if they don't know the name of our church, they show up surprised. Because they go, oh hey, I knew that person. Yeah, that was my neighbor that did this thing. And listen, the Lord's working just even as we sit in this place. You know how I know? Because I was scared out of my mind for a year and a half about where we were going to meet to worship. That the Lord provided the brewery for us for a year and a half. But I knew he was calling us forward. And I'll tell you what. You want to know how scared I was? I was taking the dog for a walk going, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do. And he just laid, and I don't know how to explain this, but on my heart was this school. And you know what I did? I looked at different places. I looked at places for us to rent. I worried, I fretted, I was afraid. And when Round Rock ISD opened up and they said, you just need to call back to the school and find out if they'll have you back. And I called up here, and Eva Vick, who's the head administrator here, called her. I go, hey, Eva, schools are opening back up. We'd love to come back. It wasn't, let me check. It wasn't, oh, well, you know, COVID. It was wholeheartedly, oh my gosh, we want y'all back. I don't know what the Lord is doing in this place with us, but I know it's time for us to start saying, how do we invest here? Because we've shown up to breakfasts Several times we do breakfast at the beginning of the year, the end of the year, and we'll show up and the prince will be like, oh my gosh, this is Narrative Church. We love them. They meet here on Sundays. And like, I'll look at the person next to me and go, I don't know what we've done that makes them so excited. Like, we use their chairs. Like, I don't, I don't know what we've done. 
And so what I have to believe is that the Lord has led us here. I don't know for how long, but I know that everything he has done has brought us here. So as your pastor, I'm going to start looking, and we have, we met together with some folks to do some brainstorming. What can we do? We built some goals out of it. One of the follow goals that we'll be presenting over the next couple weeks is we just want to sit down, have a meeting with the principal, have a meeting with the PTA, and ask, what can we do here? How can we help? It's that simple. Now listen, there will be things that we do together as a church. There are going to be things that we look and we say, hey, we're going to go clean up a park. Perfect. We're going to buy air mattresses for kids who don't have beds. Love it. Because we can do more together. But here's the thing, the Lord is calling us together as the church to move forward, and he's calling you every day to follow him. Now that may mean something as big as buying pizza for kids at a skate park, it may mean something as simple as saying that one coworker, just sit and have coffee with them. And if you ask yourself, is this following God? Listen, he gave you a rubric. It's two questions long. Does it love him and does it love others? If the answer to both those questions is yes, I have found, do that thing and watch what he does. Because here's the thing, I want to see us coming together and breaking bread and living life together. I want to see us serving, giving away some things, selling things we don't need to give to those who are in need. I want us to find joy in that together. I want us to find joy in spending our time for our neighbors, for our kids, for our families. And boy, do I want us to tell this story over and over again because I'll tell you what, he added to their number daily. I want to see that. And listen, I don't even have to see it here. Like, do I want narrative to grow? Yes. But listen, we're about the kingdom. If they come to narrative, that's the cherry on top. Now we want that. We want to grow. We want to plant more churches. We want to do those things. But our goal is not just that narrative church grows. It's that more people come into the kingdom. So we want to seek and say, the Lord was adding to their number daily. So we fight against the apathy of everything going on around us, the fear that exists by saying, I live my life for the Lord. I honor him. I seek him because of what he's done for me. I serve others because I was served. We live in a vocation. That idea that the Lord has given me these things to do as a friend, as a brother, as a sister, as a husband, as a wife, as a student. We do all those things to the best of our ability to serve others and we listen for the knocks at the window when the Holy Spirit shows up and he says, hey, come, follow me, watch this. And then we tell the story of who Jesus is. And that's it. It's three simple steps. Life, 
service, and story. And they will be the hardest steps you encounter as you trust the promises of Jesus and seek to follow him. But here's the thing, is we live in a constant cycle. I trust, I seek, I follow. I get worn out following, so I come back to trusting. I'm renewed, I'm restored. I seek, I follow. We'll have one more week in this sermon series, and what we're going to talk about next week is saying, how do we take these things, trusting, seeking, following? We've talked about them at 30,000 feet. What do we do when our feet hit the ground? I'm really excited to talk about that next week. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to follow you. Open our eyes to see the life you've called us to live, loving you and loving others. Lord, help us to serve those around us. Let our hearts be open to the places that you are calling us. And Lord, let us tell your story wherever we go. That we know the Savior who has come, who reigns, and who has rescued. Pray this all in your Son, Jesus' name.